0: I was just thinking when Darrell sat down up there, I said, less than an hour and I got 13 pages to go through. <laughs> well, it's not unusual for me. I might have sometimes 20 pages and to get through two or three, which is easy to cut, you know. A lot of my pages are written scriptures because I feel like Mr. Armstrong was, you know, for years. As he kept getting older, he kept putting fewer words on the page. <laughs> so, you know, you, you make the words bigger where you can actually read them. And even with glasses, sometimes it's difficult. I have a question is, are you all that you can be? Just thinking. Are you all that you can be? When Daryl bringing that out about Job there, Job didn't realize he could be all he could be until he realized he had to come and recognize who God was, didn't he? It's interesting to read when Terry was going through his sermonette, uh, I've jotted down again James 4, because when you think of, are you all you can be? There in James 4, verse... um, 14, it says, Whereas you know not what shall be tomorrow. So, when you think of, Are you all you can be? and I used to tell my children this. You can do everything you want to do. If you set that as a goal. There was, uh, I read a story that one time. A fellow, he set a goal when he was a young man to do a lot of different things. And he fulfilled those goals over his lifetime. So you can be all you want to be if you have goals set ahead of you. And when I told my children, you can do what you want to do, you have to set a goal. Now, if you want to do nothing, you probably, that's what you'll wind up doing. But if you want to go a long way, you have to set goals, don't you? And then you have to work at those goals. It has to be a commitment level in that. So here in James he says, uh, "You don't know what's tomorrow going to be. So you can be all you want to be, but you have to work at it at a, on a daily basis." Sometimes we say, "Well, you know, what's that story? Uh, it's raining outside and the roof leaking. Well, I can't go out and fix the rain today. I'll just put it off till tomorrow." But tomorrow is sunshiny, so why should I go out there and fix the rain? You know, fix the roof. It's not leaking. So, if you put things off for tomorrow, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So even uh, it is even a vapor. Your life is nothing but a short period of time. So, are you going to be all you want to be if you just sit back? Relax, take it easy, and put it off till tomorrow. Well, you'll never be what you ought to be. God doesn't want us to be that way, does He? God wants us to be a whole lot more. He even tells us He wants us to be kings and priests, doesn't He? So if we're going to be kings and priests, we better be fired up today. And not wait till some other day. We have an opportunity and I think so far through this feast that God has really poured out a tremendous amount of knowledge to us. You know, it's hard. You have a background of other things and we come to the feast and then God starts pouring out these knowledge, this knowledge to us because he wants us to learn. So we are here to learn. Look at First Timothy four. Turning to wood to First Timothy four. God wants us to be trained and educated. He wants us to know things. He wants us, in effect, to be all that He wants us to be. First Timothy four, verse one. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. So here's a talking about a time, and we've gone through this in the past couple of sermons, that we are now living in the latter times, and it says some people will depart from the faith. We've all experienced that, haven't we? We've seen friends, family in cases that have literally walked away and departed from the faith and giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When you start rejecting God, and you continue doing that, you come to a point of no return. You come to that point where you can't go back. So, we have to take and be fired up today. We want to look at what all we can be. Because we can be kings, priests, and the bride of Christ. That's what we can be. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We cannot allow ourselves to depart from the knowledge that God gives to us. We can't take it upon ourselves to start speaking hypocrisy. We can't take it on ourselves to contradict what God is telling us. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse one. Now, uh, this know also that in the latter days, again, Timothy's saying, wasn't so much right then, in the latter days, at the end time, perilous time shall come." Well, are we in perilous times? Are we not looking at the possibility of the Third World War? Even our president says if we attack Iran, it will be the beginning of the Third World War. Is this not a perilous time? We've heard through the Scriptures and pinpointed by God's servant that this country is going down. It is going to fall. I listened to uh, Glenn Beck the other day. Two different men from two different groups are talking about dividing this country up into 50 different countries. You think we're not in perilous times? If they did that, we would be totally destroyed. So he says in the latter times, in our time. Perilous times will come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. What do we sit in society today? We live, uh, what, 130 miles? Somebody asked me the other day that we're close to Sodom and Gomorrah here. You're right. We're about 150 miles from Sodom. You go down to Las Vegas, and what do you see? It's a... very rough, perilous place. And every possible sin is out there without natural affection. truce breakers. I mean people give their word and the next day <laughs> they change it. It's a truce they're making with you. They're making a covenant with you. I can remember a time I went, took my family, left Texas, on a handshake, and the man broke his truce, his shake with me. And it's worse even today. Truth breakers, false accusers. How many times have you heard somebody accuse somebody else? And most of the time it's not true. Too often I hear people accuse God's service. I had one the other day, accusing God. Falsely accusing God, not knowing what God is doing. We heard God says through his scriptures, he is doing something right now. Even a few minutes ago, Darrell was saying there is a setup crew. God is working right now, <laughs> preparing something for the future. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that. So God, as far as I can tell, from everything the Scriptures show <clears throat> that God is working here. He's working with each one of you. Not that you're, you're great of your own things. I know I'm not. Too many times I sit out there and say, Dad, I, I'm just not the greatest. I'm not the one that ought to be here. But then I also know that God spoke to a mule one time. He can probably do it again. <laughs> We well, you just have to give God the credit. God is working here. He's got something in mind. And we need to get our actions ready. We need to recognize that God wants more from us than maybe we've set goals to do. So can you be all you can be? Are you working toward being all that you can be? Verse 4, uh, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. <laughs> Boy, talk about lovers of pleasure. That's our whole society set up on it. And most of the church, where do they keep their feasts? At places that they can have pleasure. And the feast, to me, says what this sign says. We come here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. That should be our pleasure. Not some place that we can have an hour or two hours with God, but spend our day with God, our night with God, our eight days with God. So lovers of pleasure. Is that what we want to be? Is that all that we can be? To get in everything we can. What does the scripture say? We have, we are, we have the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Isn't that it? Say, that what all what we want to be, or do we want to be more? God's servants have suffered a lot of things in the past, but they were all that they could be because they will be bride of Christ, right there making the decisions in the world tomorrow. Is that? all that we can be. You're right. That's what we are to be. And having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Too many people have a spiritual type attitude, but they deny God's power. I told one person not too long ago, you're ever learning, it's what the Bible says, learning and learning and learning and learning you're ever learning you try every place that you can find somebody talking about God but the problem is you never come to the knowledge of the truth because you don't have a goal and know where you're going do we as individuals deny God's power are we denying the power that comes from God. If we're doing that, what happens is we create doubt. Don't we? Oh, I know. Forty years in the church and we've learned and gone things in a certain way. We've done things, you know, we've learned these things. We live these ways. And when we begin to doubt when something's different, we hear about the Passover. We hear about the calendar and it's, hard, isn't it? It was difficult to say, you've you got to follow the, the Jewish calendar. I mean, how, how can you do anything else? So we doubt God, and we deny saying, yes, Lord. I mean, you said it, we'll do it. And too many people have done that over the years. People have come a little ways and stopped. And I've been in areas where when we, we found out that we had the order of the Passover was not correct, and I've seen individuals doubt God. Well, he's teaching us through his servants. He has a lot of people that he uses, but he does use and is going to use two individuals the two witnesses. And much of the church is going to doubt that these are God's servants. They already do that today. God tells us we shouldn't doubt Him. But we do. Terry's talking about our sins that we think are okay. Well, one of those things that we count okay is we doubt God's direction, his authority. When we take that as, well, that's okay, because I've got a past history, and you know, and it's really tough. And I was thinking when I was going through this, uh, this man that Gar- uh, Darrell's been talking to, when you have a history of thinking that everything is over in the Middle East, even though you can look back in your mind and say, why would God take us to such a little place where we have this fantastic country over here that has been so blessed, but still it is tough to put that out of your mind. And so I have to admit, the first time I met the man, and probably for six or seven or eight, nine months, I've had difficulties. But, of late, as we have God's servant tells us the Scriptures and relates what God says is going to happen. And then I look back on the conversations that I was in on and I can say, why did I doubt? Because I'm a hard-headed human being? and Basically, that's what it is. We have our set pattern of life and we're going to do and any change is so difficult that we doubt God's hand in it. But his hand is there. Now, no, there's no doubt in my mind today. I mean, I know who Daryl was talking about. Gordon knows who Daryl was talking about. We've been there. We've been doing things. And I don't have any doubt right now that God is using this man. I just doubt how much I can help out (laughs) because of age. But then again, you know, you can't doubt even your age because God says he's going to give us deer's legs in me. We're going to be able to run and jump and move and do things that we should be doing and continually doing. But still, that doubt comes in our minds, doesn't it? We've been attacked by the county. And it's difficult sometimes, let me tell you, to see you put the effort into this property. And God took in two years a group of people who are not much. We weren't, we're not engineers and we're not uh, master builders and we're not all these things. But God opened our understanding. And I can remember back in 2000, feast of 2001, sitting through the feast, hearing God's Word, and at that last sermon saying, we've got to go out there. Because I doubted up to that time, but all of a sudden God opens your mind up and says, quit doubting, get going. You know? So we came out here, a group of us. We looked all over for a piece of property, knowing that God would give it to us. And He did. We're here. He gave us this property. No doubt in my mind, it was a gift of God. And he said, this is where you're going to be. And so this little group of people came out here, put up campers, stayed in it for several months. We laid out the property, put in roads, built buildings. And then the county comes in and says, you can't do that because you didn't get our blessing. And so then doubt becomes in our mind because they take us to court. We're going to be kicked off. Don't have that doubt. God put us here. He'll keep us here. There's no doubt. This is where God put us. He is building something fantastic. Are we going to be all we can be? By believing our Creator. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. God tells us not to doubt Him. That he is in charge, no matter what we might think. Ephesians 4, verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Well, if you're tossed to and fro, you're listening to too many things, and you're not listening to God. You're saying, I don't know. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. That's double-minded, you know, and you're never stable doing that. So tossed to and fro and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Who's the deceiver? Well, we know that's Satan, isn't it? But God says, don't doubt him. He is going to do this. Now we can be a part of it and set that as a goal as this is I'm going to be everything God wants me to be or we can walk away. And I've been witness to it and many of you sitting in here have been witness to people who've come and left. Who doubt that God put us here. And it, when you do that, you are coming close to searing your conscience. 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14. If any man obey not the word of this epistle. So here Paul is saying, if you don't obey this, what I'm teaching you, note know that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Paul set it up. He said, look, if people begin to doubt what I'm doing, they're not going to have and obey the words that I give you. And let me tell you, God is giving us instruction through his servant. Don't doubt God. I've read the scriptures just like many of you. And we come up here to the Feast of Tabernacles, and we've been going, we've had minor prophets. We've had clean and unclean. And we've learned that from the first page to the last page speaks of clean and unclean. It's how to be godly or ungodly. Maybe the other way, right hand godly. Huh? But... We've learned about the Passover. We've learned many things. And where did we learn it? Not from just one or two people, but God through His servants. Where is it in James? Uh, I've got it written down here later, but it says, This book was written by who? By holy men as they were moved by the Spirit of God. Is God not moving us today with His Spirit to men that are righteous, serving Him? Oh yeah, they make mistakes. They're human beings. And so because they make a mistake or they say something outside the congregation, and we say, how can He be God's servant? Well, because he's human, you know, because he is a man. But nevertheless, God says that not only did he write this by holy men as he moved them, but he's teaching us today by holy men as he moves them to speak. And are we going to listen? Are we going to obey or are we going to say, Nah, he's just a man. I've seen it happen. I've seen people question God because they question a man. Well, they could question Isaiah. I've seen them question and turn down Luke. And yet Luke says, I was inspired to write the book of Luke to put everything in the right order because there are things that are not right. And yet there are those that say Luke was not inspired and we shouldn't even have the book of Luke. (laughs) But I don't believe that. God gave us this book. Now maybe there are errors written into it, but, you know, God will correct those in his time frame. He will do that. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. We create doubt for ourselves, don't we? But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. So there are times that people bring up some questions and sometimes they're foolish. I remember back in when I worked in electronics and working at... uh, well, and somebody come up and said, can God do everything? Well, this is a foolish question. Because they're trying to entrap whoever they're talking to. and say, well, if God can do everything, can he create a rock big enough that he couldn't pick up? I mean, come on. Foolish questioning. When they said, there's nothing permanent. And I said, well, if I take this book and hold it over the and let it go, will it hit the floor? Well, you can't say it'll do that every time. Well, I can say it'll hit the ground every time because as long as there's gravity, it's going to be there. But those become foolish questions, okay. And foolish questions, and and that's just a little light-type question. There are other foolish questions that create doubt. Questions that say, well, uh, I I see this man do this, are you sure he's uh, God's servant? Are you sure that God's leading you in those things? So doesn't that cause strife? When we sit there and we let it mull over in our mind and we go to a friend and that friend goes to a friend and before you know it, you've got strife. You've got people butting heads because they don't trust God. Because they don't trust our Creator. Who, then, is the greatest doubter? Or who causes the greatest doubt? Well, we know that's Satan. The major tool that Satan uses is deception. In the Garden of Eden, he went to Eve and he said, well, Did God say you couldn't eat of everything? I mean, he's, his approach was, uh, 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 are you sure that God put this man in charge of this group and has given him this information? Are, are you sure of that? And so you sit there and say, mm, Yeah, well, I I seen him the other day riding a four wheeler and and uh, smashed his finger and and he hollered. Can't be God's servant, you know. So you maybe he's not. Satan uses many things to try to get to you to say I can't trust God I doubt that God is really in charge sometimes we look out there and say well maybe it is that God is just not telling you everything that's what Satan did there he said look Eve God's not really giving you every bit of information. And if you do this, you know, try it out, see. And he's done that in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different ways, and he approaches each and every one of us from time to time with the same thing to cause us to doubt. Well, are we to always know everything up front? Daniel didn't. He said, I want to know what this is. And God says, close up the book, Daniel. It's not for you to understand. So what does Daniel say? Well, it must not be God if you don't want me to understand it. No. He has his time frame. So he brought Herbert Armstrong, gave him information, and how many of us began to understand God's way of life through Herbert Armstrong? See? See? How many of us began to understand that? I know sitting out there in the desert, and I heard Herbert Armstrong the first time, and I said, I haven't heard this before. I haven't heard anything like this. And after a few weeks of listening to Herbert Armstrong, I knew there was no doubt that God was using this man. Do I need to know everything at that time? All I had to know was, yes, Lord, I will change. But things come up and you say maybe, maybe this is not right because Satan still will impregnate your mind if he can to question what God is doing are we going to question what God is doing with us today we better not he is going to rebuild the church. He's going to make a better temple than was under Mr. Armstrong. Now, you have a choice to say, okay, I want to be a part of that and whatever is said, I'll do. Or you can say, Ah. I don't believe that. They're questioning. Well, you should. The Scripture tells you, search the Scriptures, prove what's true and what's there. And when you find the truth, it says grab a hold of it and don't let it go. But too often we grab a hold of the truth and then we hear some little doubt come in and we're ready to let the truth go, aren't we? That tendency comes from time to time. You want to let go. But we can't afford to do that. God is going to use somebody as a setup crew. You can be a part of it, or you can let somebody else do it. How many times have I said in sermons that God has 144,000 crowns? He's offered it to 144,000 people. Now if you take that crown and you take light of it, and you doubt really you're going to get it, and you let it go, you cannot get that back. If God gives that crown to another person, that's it. You have one opportunity. The world doesn't know God. Methodists, Baptists, Catholics, Mormons, they don't know God. So he's not working with them right now. He's working with the bride. He's preparing for the future. Feast of Tabernacles is here to teach us what we have to learn to do, what we're going to have to be, and then be joyous that we're going to have an opportunity to work with people. We're going to have an opportunity to help people live in a Garden of Eden atmosphere. Oh, are going to be people that are going to doubt it again and what happens, says in Zechariah, and they're going to... Say, I'm not going to go to the feast. And God said, okay. He said, let we ready. You ready. Know, he's going to get them to a the point. It won't take too many years, let me tell you. If you see everybody else enjoying life and having their own vine and fig tree and, and, and having a beautiful life, and you're suffering, you're going to want to change. You're going to want to turn your life around and say, I want to be a part of that. Forgive me. I'm sorry I doubted you. But one benefit we'll have in the world tomorrow, you know, is that Satan's going to be bound where he cannot set his doubts in anybody's mind. He will not be able to penetrate anybody's mind until the end of that time period when he's turned loose. And it's always been hard for me to grasp that people live a thousand years in a millennial atmosphere in a Garden of Eden, Satan's turned loose and these people doubt God's ability and God's plan and come against, to fight against God. I mean it's, that just kind of blows my mind that people could do that. But maybe we don't understand the power And the amount of deception that Satan can put out there because he will turn minds against God and God's family. God doesn't want us to doubt. What God wants from each and every one of us is trust. Trust and obey God wants you to trust Him and obey Him. Now, the word trust is assured reliance on character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. God wants your trust. He doesn't want you to doubt anymore. He wants you to throw doubt out and begin to trust Him in everything, and he says it's the character, the ability, the strength, and the truth. I flew to Africa for two years, my wife and I in an airplane, and, you know, it's like four hours from Las Vegas to Atlanta and 15 hours from Atlanta to uh, South Africa. We have to put a certain amount of trust, don't we, in the aircraft, in the pilots, the mechanics who work on that aircraft, and you put a lot of trust in these people, human beings, to get you where you're going. and they fly out and go down through the Atlantic and you know you don't see land and you're too far out from land. So you put a lot of trust that God will get you there, and a lot of trust in human beings. How about in your car? Don't you trust? Getting in your car and going to town, coming to the feast. Do we trust our buildings to be standing up? That to dig. You know, I've had had a big problem there for a while. We've been up there digging this hole. We dig down a hundred feet. Well, probably about eighty-five feet, and it was pretty straight down. You know, there was. You know, I had no no problems with it. But then we started going at an angle. And now we've got to start putting trust that this is what God wants and He will protect you. Because we had to dig under at least two, maybe three rocks that are the size of pickups. And we're about 10 feet underneath those things. I mean, underneath at a, at a distance over, plus 20 feet below them. So you have to have a lot of trust in God or you will not be down in that hole, I'll tell you. But I believe that, and trust God that this is what He wants us to do. So it says trust is reliance on character. John chapter 7. On character. John chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. Then, Jesus, then cried Jesus in the temple as he, as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. So Christ is saying, I'm here, and I trust God, but I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Christ trusted God all the way. It's an example that he gives for you and me. He says, trust me. So Christ sets us that example. You need to trust me. Chapter 12, verse 49. Chapter 12, 49. Christ saying, for I have not spoken of myself. So listen to what I say. But the Father which sent me, he gave me the commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. So, he believes that God is in charge, and he trusted God to give him the information to speak. He gives us that example, again in chapter 14, verse 10. Christ speaking again says, Believe you not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak, uh, unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me does the works. In other words, Christ is saying, God trusts me enough to let me teach you. We've got to come to that point, I think, ourselves to say, we trust God enough to believe that He will teach us what we have to do. I know so many times it's not the norm. It's not what we have learned. it's, It's what we've learned, I should say. It's what we've learned, but only it's now a deeper understanding. It's a better understanding. And it's time that God wants us to learn those things. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We have to trust our Creator that He will teach us what He wants us to understand. Verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, who share in the heavenly calling, do we understand that? We understand that we are sharing with. Christ, with each other, a heavenly calling? Do we trust that it's God calling us? Or do we doubt it? I mean, we're going to be all that we can be. We have to understand that we have a heavenly calling. It's something from God. Fix your thoughts on Emmanuel, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. It's saying here that Christ is the high priest. Do we trust Christ then to lead? He is faithful to the one who appointed him, pointing out that Christ was faithful. So trust and faith actually go hand in hand. You have to have faith to trust God. He is faithful to whom he was who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Moses believed God. He trusted God to do the things that he did. Emmanuel has been found worthy of great honor more than Moses because his trust was so great and so high in the Father, He was willing to give up eternity, God's ability to create the heavens, create mankind, create animals. He had that much trust in the Father to be willing to give all that up. And He's only asking us trust him and to give up the pleasures of this world for our season. A season that will be short, you know, it's our life, as James said, is just a vapor anyway. It's just a short period of time. This is only a training ground. Life comes in the future. So Christ was found to be more honorable. His trust was so great that he gave up everything to do the will of God so that there could be a God's family. Now we're talking about trust that goes beyond what you and I can put up. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Put that in our minds. If that's locked into your head, God is in charge of everything. He's done it all. You can trust God. Moses was faithful as a servant in in God's house, testifying to what would uh, be said in, uh, in the future that Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are His house. Believe that? Trusting God that Christ will take care of us if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. You have to hang on to it. Are we not told, and I think it's uh, Hebrews, that we should capture every thought? It's hard sometimes, isn't it? I struggle with that a lot sometimes, you know. To capture every thought. Trust God for help in whatever it is, even capturing your thoughts, so that you can glorify God in all that you do. That second point that they brought out about trust—keep that my paper back here—was ability. Do we trust that God has the ability to take care of us? It's like I brought out earlier. Do we trust that God will take care of whatever comes about from the county about us building this property? I remember the last time we were at the court, the county even admitted we're a town. They came out here not to build a trailer park. They came out here to build a town. Well, you're right. They know that. Do we trust that God said he would build cities or towns without walls? I trust him. I believe that that's what he said. Ephesians 5, verse 14. Wherefore he said, Awake you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Christ is going to open to us. His ability is to lead us in the right direction. We don't have to doubt whether Christ can teach us and show us the right things. He can do that. Christ said in John 5, 9 verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as Christ is with us, as we trust Him, He becomes our light. And if we are in Christ, then we are the lights. And the world doesn't see that right now. Let's jump down to the next one. I'd like to get through this one, <clears throat> one part. I'm not going to get all of it. But the next thing on trust is strength. Strength. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Strength. Verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he can't hear. God has power. He says, there's nothing that I can't do. I'm not short-handed. I'm not weak. I'm not a human being. He says, I have strength to lead you in the right direction. You just have to trust me to do that. He so I can hear you when you call and ask. I'm listening. So we not feeling good. We we get hurt. We want God's help. We'll call upon God's elders to anoint us. Do we trust God that He will heal us? We've had one man here that says, I trust God. And he didn't go to the hospital, did he? And God healed him. Is that our trust? Can we say, I trust you, Father. Whatever comes down the the pipe, I will trust you. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Speaking of God's power and God's might. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he is living to make intercession for you. Believe that God can intercede for you. If he has that kind of power, he can intercede and save you, help you. You know, I've worked. I went to, when I left NASA, I went to Wellex. I didn't doubt that God could give me a job. I just told him. It was uh, about four weeks before the Feast of Tabernacles. And I said, uh, there's one thing you have to understand. I keep the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm going to be gone for ten days. And I didn't doubt that I'd have a job or not because I figure I got one job and I left it. There's another job out there. I knew God would, if I'm faithful and trusting Him, He'd give me a job. And they said, no problem, we just can't give you, we can't pay you for the time you're off. Well, I wasn't looking for them to pay me for the time off because I was going to be off anyway. So, but you have to have that kind of trust. I'm going to go. And when I found this job, I was looking for a job when I found it. <laughs> I'll look for a job if I know if you lose it. God's going to take care of you. He promises that He will take care of us. 1 Thessalonians 4. How powerful our God is. How His strength. Verse 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so also which uh, sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Do we believe that? He has that kind of power to raise the dead. He has so much strength. You know, we look at a computer. they got fantastic memories in them. But they don't even scratch God's memory. He remembers every hair on your head, plus every human being. And He says He's going to raise those that were faithful, Trusting Him when He returns. For this we say unto you, by the word of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What kind of power is that? What kind of strength is that? That's fantastic strength. And then it goes on, then which, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. He does, he has strength. Can God accomplish these things? Yes. He can. He has those abilities. Trust is depending on something, future, our hope. Our hope is trusting God, isn't it? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is things hoped for, something in the future, and it's the evidence of that, that which you've not perceived. Do we trust God that much to know He's got that kind of power, that kind of love, that He remembers who you are, that He is going to accomplish what He said He would do? Well, I had a lot more on trust. And it's just getting started because there's areas of trust that we don't realize. Things that God can do. God's, we can put trust in God's promises. And this gives me an opportunity, see, I get to speak again. And I don't have to stay up until all the hours of the morning. I can conclude this maybe a little later. But let me hit Romans 8, verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man sees, why does he hope for it? When you see something, why do you hope for it? Well, in one sense, we see being the bride of Christ. And yes, we hope for it. But we don't know what it's going to be like. You have no concept of really what it will be like to be spirit being. Not to be cold. Not to be hungry. But to have so much love that it just boils over on you. See, God is love. And to be a spirit being, you're going to be love in the future, in the world tomorrow, we're going to have an opportunity to teach people to trust God. But we're going to have to be trustworthy ourselves, are we not, to be there? There's a group of people that will go through a great tribulation. And what they go through is going to be horrible. Horrible. So we're gonna to have to have enough trust in God that we can be all we can be, that we can be there. We have the love and the trust, that we can have the power and the character, Godlike character. You will be a part of the family of God if you do not have his character. And the scripture tells us we have to have this mind in us that was in Christ. If we're going to be all we can be, and we're going to trust God, we have to understand that we have to be like Christ. So I'm going to stop there for today. And maybe the next time I can conclude this.